Welcome to the Sharkpreneur Podcast with Kevin Harrington and Seth Green. Kevin Harrington is the inventor of the infomercial, one of the original sharks from the hit TV show Shark Tank, and has generated over $5 billion in TV and digital direct response sales. Seth Green is the world's first trusted authority on cutting-edge direct response marketing, a best-selling author, and the only three-time Marketer of the Year nominee. On the podcast, Kevin and Seth interview sharkpreneurs who share straight talk on what it takes to explode your business. Why do so many businesses struggle while others seem to explode overnight? Do you wish you had the secret to this type of exponential growth? Now, I've scaled more than 20 businesses to over $100 million, and it's not just luck. In my new book with Mark Tim, Mentor to Millions, you'll learn the repeatable framework I use in all my business ventures for massive success. Order at KevinMentor.com and get over $1,000 in bonuses. Head to KevinMentor.com. Welcome to the podcast. This is your co-host, Seth Green. Today, I've got the good fortune to be joined by Bill Ottman, who is up to some really cool things, which I can't wait for him to share with you. Bill, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. Our pleasure. So um, before we go back in time and talk about how you got started, let's tell everybody what you are up to now and how Minds works. Yeah. So Minds at Minds.com or on app stores, we are an open source and decentralized social network with millions of users. And it is essentially very similar to, you know, social media apps that you would be familiar with, but all of kind of the core foundational principles are, are inverted. So all of our code is open source, meaning anybody can inspect our code. You can even take our code and make your own app with our code. And we encourage that. Um, but it's also for transparency's sake. We're very privacy focused, so we don't require any personal information. Certainly, you know, not fans of surveillance and, you know, all messages are encrypted we have no interest in having access to people's messages. This is kind of a atrocity of big tech. And then we have creator monetization programs, very interested in the creator economy and helping users earn money for their contributions. And then our infrastructure is decentralized. So, you know, ultimately where we think social media is going is in a more sovereign direction so that you own your identity, your content, your social graph or, or your followers, and that that's portable with you. So, you know, regardless of like deplatforming or if you just want to leave, you can, and you aren't locked in to these networks where basically, you know, your destiny is in their hands. Um, so yeah, that's a handful of the, of the things we're working on. Well, that is absolutely incredible. It sounds like you're solving a lot of the problems that I know our entrepreneurial and business owner uh, listeners are frustrated with in some of the other platforms. Uh, let's go back in time a little bit. How did you get started? Started like a decade ago at this point, and we actually started doing live events, oddly. Um, and we've always been very interested in just bringing people together, having civil open dialogue, also celebrating art, music, and culture. And so we would do these sort of festival forums and 
we basically got a little bit burnt out by, you know, the live event, physical event space and realized we, sh we should probably go digital and we still do events and we, I still absolutely value face-to-face -face forums and, and social networking, but yeah. And so, so we just took to the digital realms. And then once we did that, I sort of saw how there's this rift between, you, know, you got Facebook, Twitter, Google, big tech, um, and well, now that Twitter is owned by Elon, it's a little bit, you know, they're kind of in the middle in a sense, because they're sort of changing their values. But, and then, you know, on the other side of the internet, you kind of have like the, the freedom focused internet places like, uh, Firefox or Tor or Brave browser, DuckDuckGo, privacy-based search engine, Linux, all, you know, encryption tools, all of this stuff that is focused on transparency and privacy like us. And so our thesis early on was just that inevitably there is going to be a social network that embodies these principles because it's just better for the community. And yeah, I mean, we're seeing it happening. That's, that's why we're starting to see more alternative uh, social networks pop up. And, uh, you know, in our opinion, a lot of them are kind of just uh, shallow marketing language, but you know, there are a few other good ones out there too, that are actually embodying the principles and uh, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So how does one, I, I, I get the festivals and wanting to take it online, um, but let's go a little bit more granular for just a second. How do you say, forgive my ignorance, I'll start a social network and then actually start one? Because I'm sure lots of people have been like, I'm pissed off at Facebook or whatever, right. but 99.999% of them don't do anything about it, even if they could. Sure. So yeah, exactly. I mean, and we just learned as we went and what you start to, when you start doing the research about, you know, what are the software uh, protocols and frameworks that are necessary to build a social network. You start digging around and, you know, there's all of these different frameworks, front end, mobile frameworks, um, back end databases, and, you know, social, there are some open social engines that exist. And so you kind of like, we piece together dozens of, of different projects. And, you know, because that's the philosophy of open source. It's like you, you're standing on the shoulders of giants is the, is the phrase that's used. And so sort of the dark thing about big tech is that they're all using open source software to build their apps, but then they don't share the changes that they make. So they keep all of everything closed that they do, even though they took from, you know, the public domain. Um, and so like they didn't give back in a sense, even though they took like Facebook, for instance, is almost certainly running Linux, um, and PHP and, you know, major programming languages like this. So yeah, that's what happened. We just started finding open source stuff. We committed to keeping all the changes that we made open source and, you, know, you can find it all at developers.minds.com. And that's what happened. You know, you just, uh, it, it was all new, but there was, a, there, there was some very primitive frameworks that existed back then. And then it's, you know, we've contributed a lot. Other places have contributed a lot. You know, mobile frameworks like React Native have gotten better so that you can build more robust apps. And 
you know, cause at, at, at this point, if you're building an app and it doesn't have a social engine underneath it, you're sort of doing it wrong. So it, it doesn't even matter if you think you're building a social network, like look at a company like Airbnb, for instance, or Netflix. It's like every app has somewhat of a similar architecture in that you have users, you have user profiles, you have users who are um, potentially engaging with other users, you know, like on Airbnb, for instance, it's not a social network, but it sort of is because you can talk to people, you can, you can follow people, you can keep an eye on things. It's like, you sort of have this feed, you have these feeds. So that's what we're sort of learning. Um, and I think that that's what, like the social networking has sort of infused into everything at this point. Absolutely. Now you talked about some key fundamental advantages to minds. So how do I own my data, my followers? How do I take that with me when I leave? Do, am I exporting an Excel spreadsheet? Like how does that work? Yeah. So um, we are integrated with a protocol called Noster and essentially how it works is every user on minds has a cryptographic key pair and you can go to your settings and you can download that key that key so in the background when you're using minds your key is signing events so you're doing a crypto signature on every time you make a post every time you follow somebody and these signatures and events are stored on this decentralized relay network. So there's all these nodes running all over the world in the Nostr protocol. And so what that means is that there, you know, we are a client of Nostr. So a client, AKA app to kind of interface with the servers, but there are other clients. And so, you know, you could go to, uh, there's one called Damus, D-A-M-U-S.io. You can go there, you can download that app, and then you can import, you can upload your key into that app and the stuff that you posted on Minds will show up still even over on Damas. So, so the data is actually stored on the relay network. It's not something where you're gonna like download a, like that, you can do that too, but that's not how, you know, that, that would be a very bulky experience. So it's better when, if the data is kind of stored in a place uh, where you don't have to lug it around and potentially have it be corrupted. Okay, so that's how I own my data, can, but take it with me. Could I, I'm just making, making up an example. Could I take, let's say I have 100,000 followers on mine. Could I export that data and then import them to God forbid Facebook. And now poof, I can connect. It's going to find them and invite them to follow me on Facebook. How does that something like that work? So it all depends on the, you know, if the network is integrated with Nostr. So any, so it's, it's a new protocol, but there are a handful of networks, probably ones that you wouldn't know that are integrated, but the point is really that Facebook or Twitter could do what we did and build an integration with Noster so that yes, you, that scenario 
could take place. They don't happen to be integrated. Uh, it wouldn't be hard for them to do it, but you know, it's not necessarily, they would consider it not in their interest to do that. And that's why they have the lock-ins that they do. Like when you download your, like, you know, when you go to Facebook and it, there's a download your data tool, it's like, it's sort of useless because it's not as if, I mean, it's good to be able to do that, like for your photos and whatnot, but it's not as if you can, yeah, like go to another network and kind of keep your followers. That, that's, not what, that's not what Facebook is giving you when you, when you download. Absolutely. And then you have the ability to do all kinds of interesting things. So talk about like the earning crypto rewards type of stuff. Yeah. So we have a whole rewards program where based on the engagement that you generate and various forms of contributions to the site, you earn tokens every day. And one token, and tokens are worth views on the network or impressions. So you can use those tokens that you earn to boost your content for more exposure. And so it's sort of like this fuel of the network. Um, and that it's, it's one of the most popular features by far, because part, one of the biggest issues on big tech apps is that the algorithms are, you know, just strangle everybody. So you're not really reaching that many people. The fact that they have billions of users is sort of irrelevant because, you know, you can't reach them. So, you know, on minds actually, and we have countless users who have, who have said this, they actually get better engagement on minds than they do on like Twitter, because, you know, most people other, unless you're like a, you know, serious influencer, most people are posting on Twitter and just like, they'll get like two likes every day for like eight years. And it's just like, that's just what life is like. There's really getting, getting out of that void is extremely difficult unless you pay. And, you know, you can pay to do that on mines, but the, the point is um, we have this way to earn it just passively as you go. And I think that, you know, most people aren't really, you know, they want to be able to just put the time in and grow as opposed to uh, have to pay. Absolutely. And then how do, how does Minds get, how are you monetizing Minds? Yeah. So like, you know, as I mentioned, we, you know, you can pay to boost your content. Uh, so we do, but we're not reliant on, on advertising. Um, we don't want to be an advertising based business. So we have Minds Plus, which is a membership and Minds Pro also. And those come with various perks, uh, rev share in Minds Plus, you get access to all this exclusive content that a lot of different members are putting in there. You know, you can get verified, you can, you know, turn off at, you know, there's various perks associated with these tiers. So we definitely, you know, memberships are by far, you know, kind of, the most sustainable. And I think that they, you know, even you're seeing Twitter pivot massively to start focusing on, on memberships just because it's more of a sustainable revenue model. So we've got that. And then we also have this uh, really cool feature that we just rolled out called Supermind, which would enable, so Seth, say I wanted to hear from you as, as one of your listeners. I go to your page on Minds, I click Supermind and it's basically an offer form. So I could offer you 50 bucks to reply to my 
post or my question. So there's basically, you know, you put in the offer amount, you put in if you want a video response or a text response, and then you type in your question, bam, then Seth gets a notification. Hey, Bill's offering you 50 bucks to reply to this question. You can either accept it or reject it. If you accept it and respond, you get the money. If you don't respond, then after seven days, I get my money back. So it's this sort of incentivized monetary layer for, in, in, you know, in engagement between creators and fans. And, you know, people are loving it so far because I think that a lot of the issue with the membership world with like, you know, exclusive memberships to different creators is that it's just not personal enough. And people, you know, your fans want to talk to you. They don't want you just like passively talking. To, I mean, maybe, you know, I, I do think memberships are valuable and that's, it's a great way to support creators, but this, this is just a little bit more personal and, you know, gives you the ability to engage. So I'm curious, just like what your gut reaction is to hearing that. Um, well, as someone as a creator. Who, is, who is, yeah, has, is a, cre is both a creator um, a producer for many other creators and someone who is an agency has spent, you know, managed millions of dollars a month in social media advertising. I, I, I think the paying for access makes sense. It's definitely, it's like almost if you had to pay to get a question answered on Quora or something. Um, I mean, there's some type of models where like there'll be a celebrity who will say, who will auction off and you can say, buy 30 minutes of my time or whatever, and I'll donate the money to charity, but it isn't like regular access. It isn't, you know, Kevin O'Leary from Shark Tank isn't going to do that every week. So right, right. I think the ability to interact with people who might be not necessarily household names, but famous in their niche, like we are, makes total sense. I'm wondering, you talked about the memberships, which I've always said, like as soon as the ad, the newsfeed got over cluttered and, you know, they went public and they cut off 90% of your organic reach. It was, they should just do a damn paid membership, five bucks a month, 10 bucks a month. And they wouldn't have to rely so much on ad revenue and right. then ban people for stupid reasons. So I get that the subscription model makes total, makes total business sense. Do you also, you talked about how I can pay as a business owner, can I do more than just promote my content? Can I run lead generation ads? Can I run clicks to my website? Can I do some of the things that other networks allow you to do yet? Yeah. You, well, you can put, um, you know, you can put links in. I mean, the, the way that the advertising works is very similar to how it works on Twitter and Instagram, where basically you can, you know, whether it's your channel that you want to push or a specific post with a link to a specific product. You can do it that way. Is that is that what you mean? Yeah, that's exactly what I mean. Yeah, yeah, we do have that. Yep. Awesome. Um, well, we're signing up as soon as this podcast is over. Uh, nice. Yeah. Let's. Uh, we'll, I'll, I'll shoot you. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll tip you some tokens so you can start playing around for free. Uh, well, you don't have to, but I that's very nice of you. So then, my next question is: You talk about the ability to freely express yourself, which is obviously very appealing, given that big tech and some of those social media companies are in the process of alienating about half the country mm -hmm. because they don't necessarily agree with their political views or on a certain topic. How do you walk the line of letting everybody freely access, express yourself, but in one sense, keeping people safe? For sure. Great question. So, I mean, we definitely take 
a First Amendment based approach. There are exceptions, stuff like malicious spam or obviously harassment or threats like is not not okay. And that's not covered by the First Amendment. We wrote a paper earlier this year published called The Censorship Effect. It's um, it's a beast of a paper. It's like 80 pages. We partner with a handful of PhDs and de-radicalization researchers. And essentially what the paper is, is a, um, a look at the peer-reviewed research around the uh, actual effects of deplatforming. And it's a proposal for sort of a new model. And the research almost across the board shows that this deplatforming is causing increased radicalization and even potentially more violence than, you know, because the excuse to deplatform is that makes everyone less safe. But actually, <laughs> the thing that can push a lot of these extreme people over the edge is when they get banned and then they go into a darker corner of the internet and it causes their, their views to sort of compound on themselves. And so like Daryl Davis was a co-author of the paper. He's famous black musician who befriended hundreds of KKK members and got them to leave the KKK over time. You know, this is basic human psychology is that you, you can't, you know, bully someone into obedience to behave the way you want them to behave. Like, it truly like in some like there's one specific study that, that that we talk about, which was a social media experiment where in order to in, in order to basically make people less xenophobic, uh, these researchers went around and engaged people in three different ways. One was through like, you know, forcing ideology down their throat, saying, you know, tr telling them, you know, oh, no, you have to believe this. The other was comedy and the other was empathy pure empathy, just like totally, totally being as compassionate as possible. And in ranked order, the most effective were empathy, comedy, and then ideology. So which makes it, it, it makes perfect sense with Daryl's uh, experience and data. And so yeah, I mean, our approach is that we give people as granular control as possible. So you don't have to see what you don't want to see. In fact, when you first sign up for the app, there at the top of your feed, there's a component called build your algorithm. And it has these sliders. So you can basically control how much controversial content you want to see, how, how much content you want to see of people who are who think differently to you. Wow. And so there's there's a handful of different questions kind of gauging where you are on various spectrums. You know, because there, some people have ap appetite for discourse and want to see stuff that they disagree with. Other people don't. And like, okay, you know, do what you want to do. But the idea that just because you don't like it, that it should be banned from the internet and then potentially think of, th think of this whole thing in, in the realm of mental health. You know, per, look at what happened to Kanye just today. I was going to, I was going <laughs> to use him as an example uh, on your, well, we want to protect free speech. I'm like, yeah, but then you got someone like that going on TV or whatever and going, saying what he said. I won't repeat it on our show because I don't want Apple or YouTube to yell at me. Um, but yeah, keep going. Yeah, so look, no one's defending the stuff that he's saying. But if you look at what happened on Twitter, so, you know, okay, the Alex Jones interview obviously went off, went off the wall. 
whether it is some sort of insane performance art or like what he actually thinks or sensationalism to get attention. We like, no one knows, but he got banned on Twitter by Elon directly for posting a image of sort of this like hybrid of a um, Jewish star slash swastika. Yep. And, you know, the reason for the ban was that it was an incitement to violence. So it's very gray area because, you know, from one, the context and intention behind that, you don't know. Certainly, you know, swastikas are all over social media and they can have all different kinds of contexts. I mean, the, the symbol itself is an ancient symbol. It's, it's yeah, actually, Celtic, yeah. yeah. So, you know, there's all these different contexts. Now, Kanye getting banned from Twitter today, you know, getting kicked out of his bank, JP Moore, like, yeah, he's saying crazy stuff, but, but what are like, do you think that his views are being changed or reinforced by all of this deplatforming? I think, well, I, I, right. I don't know that, that, that the punishment suddenly makes him go. I would hope that he's not really anti-Semitic. I mean, he talks about everyone walking in love and he talks right. about how he's been fascinated with a, a, a certain person associated with that swastika. And yeah. I don't think that's the smartest decision to talk about. I think it's a dumb move given, you know, I was it less than a week ago. He asked Trump to be his running mate. Like, I think, could you have those views privately? Of course we have freedom of speech. Is it really, really smart for somebody who's an influencer and a celebrity to say that out loud? No, look at all the celebrities who lost their contracts, lost their shows, lost their jobs, um, and lost tens of millions of dollars because they said one stupid thing on air. I think, does it make him more mad? Of course it does. He's about losing, he's losing sponsorships. He's losing deals. He's losing companies. But I would hope it go, I would hope the light bulb goes off and makes him go, should have kept my mouth shut. I should have known, like my mother wouldn't have wanted me to say that. If I had told my mom I was going to say that, she would smack me upside the head. Right. Just well, like, I think, I think, I, I, I think the- could have gotten, could have, I think, and I'm probably wrong. I, I might be wrong here. I'm not a political pundit, but- I think he probably could have won re-election the first time had he stayed off of Twitter, had he not been saying something to aggravate people or quote unquote stupid on Twitter every five minutes, if he had gotten out of his own way, if his handlers and advisors had said, just govern, he might've had a shot. So, I mean, you, you think, did that help Kanye? Does it make him less, hopefully he's not really anti-Semitic. Does it make him less? No, but does it make him think before he posts something somewhere next time? I hope so. Yeah, I think that- We could do a whole episode on that. Neither of us know the answer to no, it, but I correct. think that I, 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 I think it's pretty clear that he is definitely feeling like more of a victim and that he, you know, it's, it's reasonable to assume that he thinks that there's more of a conspiracy against him now that there's oh, I'm this, sure. this, this mat. So, so it's like very possible that it could be pushing him into a much darker place. 
And so, yeah, that's what the research shows. And so uh, a lot of our strategy about around it is to just reframe how people react to controversial content online, because at the end of the day, there's only so much that a social network can do. Um, at the end of the day, you know, individual critical thinking and our own lenses on what we're experiencing, you know, we're all in control of our own emotions. And, you know, I, I also look at it like people are simultaneously so uh, shocked and appalled by, you know, this nasty content on social media, but then you know, they're, they're fascinated by serial killers and, you know, all these Netflix documentaries about true crime. It's like, these are all troubled people that I think there's potential to experience what they're saying in a way that doesn't make you feel like the world is about to explode just because their content is existing. <laughs> yep. I agree. So, 100%. Yeah. We kind of got off on a tangent. I apologize. We're out of time. Oh, we it. will definitely have you back for sure, because we didn't even get to talk about the marketing side of the conversation in terms of how you got to 6 million plus followers, um, 6 million users. So we'll we'll definitely have you back. This has been Seth Green with Bill Ottman from minds.com. Go check it out in whatever app store or web interface you use. Sign up. You'll be glad you did. Bill, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Thanks, everybody, for watching and listening. We will see you next time. Do you need money to fund your idea, product, or service? Are you ready to take your business to the next level but need capital to get it done? Kevin Harrington has heard more than 50,000 pitches and knows how to help you make the perfect pitch to get the funding for your entrepreneurial dream. He's distilled the process down in his perfect pitch cheat sheet and it's yours for free. Just text PITCH to him right now at 727-888-2100. Text PITCH to 727-888-2100 right now and claim your free perfect pitch cheat cheat text pitch to 727-888-2100 to start funding your dream today this show has been produced by market domination llc to discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer this podcast is a part of the c-suite radio network for more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs> <laughs>